Father, thank you for your written word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your bride, the church. We thank you for all the means that you have given us. We give you praise. We give you, um, we bestow honor upon your son, Jesus Christ. This is not about us. It's not about me or Pastor Gus or Melvin or any elder that is in this church. It's about your son, Jesus Christ. I pray by your spirit you will uplift us, you will speak to us, and enlighten your word. I pray in the words of John the Baptist that we may decrease so that he can increase. So, Lord, let this be true for all of us. And I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you don't mind, open up your Bible to Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 71. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 71. And please follow along in your Bible as I read from the ESV translation. It says, and in fact, I'm going to read the entire um, verses 67 through 80 just for the sake of context. Uh, So Luke 1, verses 67 through 80 is what I'm going to read. But our text for this morning is Luke 1, verses 67 through 71. Amen? Amen. It says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we been delivered from our the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days and you child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sits in darkness 
in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. We have been continuing through this gospel, uh, which is Luke's gospel, regarding to the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, This morning, we will just focus on Zechariah, as we have done in the beginning of chapter 1. If you can recall, to memory, in Luke 1, verses 8 through 30, is where Luke introduces Zechariah and his narrative. The angel, Gabriel, appeared to Zechariah at the time he was serving in the temple. Gabriel announced to Zechariah that he and his wife will be the parents of God's promised prophet, John the Baptist. Zechariah did not believe Gabriel's words. He thought it was unimaginable for him to believe that he and his wife in their old age, being around the age of 70 and 80, can conceive and bear a child. Therefore, his unbelief, uh, therefore he was punished for his unbelief. His punishment resulted in muteness and deafness. At the time, uh, Zechariah responded in unbelief, and he said to the angel Gabriel, he said, well, Gabriel said to him when Zechariah responded, he said, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Until that day, that, I mean, until the day that things, these things take place. That day came nine months later. For nine months, Zechariah was introspective and contemplative about his actions and unbelief that resulted in him his inability to speak and hear. If we were like Zechariah, not able to speak and hear for any length of time, I believe that we all would ask ourselves deep theological questions. We will ask ourselves how, why, and what caused this condition. We will uh, reprioritize our bucket list. This is what happens whenever a person, including us, encounter a life crisis. After John the Baptist was born, Elizabeth and Zechariah 
Scott's friends and family asked, what shall the child name be? If you remember, Elizabeth emphatically said his name shall be John. Because throughout her pregnancy, she was faithful. She believed in God's word. She did not doubt. However, her friends and her family felt the need to ask Zechariah. Because they felt indifferent about John's name. They knew that no one in Zechariah's and Elizabeth's family was named John. So they asked Zechariah, what shall the child name be? Zechariah asked for a writing tablet to reaffirm his wife's words to everyone that his son's name is John, and by so doing, his hearing and speech was restored. Zechariah's speech and hearing were restored until, I mean, to him because he finally believed God's word. According to Scripture, if you can glance at Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66, you will see that his mouth opened and his tongue loose and he blessed God. According to Luke one sixty four, if you were like Zechariah, after regaining your speech and hearing, what would be have been your first words? How would you have felt? Would you praise God because your speech and hearing was restored? This leads us to our passage. Verse, if you look at verse 67, please take notice of it. In verse 67, Luke just positionally placed the restoration of Zechariah's speech and hearing together with him being filled with the Holy Spirit. As I just mentioned, the reason Zechariah could not speak was due to his unbelief. This illustrates to us that unbiblical emotions and unbelief can inhibit us from being influenced by the Holy Spirit. When a person is filled with wrath, vengeance, unfaithfulness, impurity, unforgiveness, etc., these unbiblical emotions quenches the spirit from prompting us or controlling us. Allow me to provide several examples of this point. In Luke chapter 4, verse 28, he writes that the Jews in Nazareth wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff because they were filled with wrath. In Acts chapter 13, verse 45, Paul was preaching in Antioch. And as he was speaking, the Jewish people was filled with 
jealousy because Paul's preaching was attracting Gentile believers to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. The point is this. A person would not be filled with the Spirit of God if they are being influenced by something else. Gabriel announced to Zechariah that his son, John about this, must not drink wine or strong drink, which possibly signified that it was a Nazarite vow. But moreover, that announcement pointed towards that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That is, John was under the influence of the Holy Spirit from the time of his birth. In the same fashion, Paul instructs us not to get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with one making melody to the Lord with our hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. This is exactly what Zechariah did. When Zechariah was capable to speak and hear, he burst into a song of praise and thanks and thankfulness. His unbelief left him mute for nine months. His faithfulness swayed him to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to sing a joyful song to his God and Lord. As a denomination of the, uh, within the Christian Missionary Alliance, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God can allow a person to have the ability to speak in a different different languages, that is, speaking in tongues. Uh, we believe that God allowed people to possess gifts of healing and miracles. We believe in the entirety of the doctrine of continuationists, continuationism. So it is not surprising when, uh, to me, when Zechariah was able to prophesy because he was filled with the Holy Spirit who gave Zechariah the ability. In Luke's gospel, it shouldn't be a surprise to any of us how involved the Holy Spirit was. And uh, the Holy Spirit was involved in the conception of Jesus. For example, Luke recorded the words of Gabriel while he was speaking to Mary. Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And when it comes to Elizabeth, she was filled with the Holy Spirit when Mary visited her to receive a confirmation by which she blessed Mary for being the mother of Jesus. So prophesying is foretelling the future. Most importantly, is declaring what God has deemed to be true. 
Therefore, whenever a person says that they have the gift of prophecy and the and they speak on behalf of God, their words must be 100% true at all times. Because God is not man that he should lie or a or a son of man that he should change his mind. What God declare, has declared to be true will always be true. So as you can see within Zechariah's prophecy, Zechariah is prophesying about certain things. And I want to add a footnote because I want you to see this connection within these uh, four verses, 67 through 71. I want you to see this, that the connection between David, Abraham, and John, which is all, they all listen in Zechariah's prophecy, illustrates to us that there is only one story, one testament, and one religion. One story, one testament, and one religion. From a biblical standpoint, the New Testament does not eradicate the Old Testament. And that the true religion of Judaism is found in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul understood this truth. Paul converted from a false religious system of Judaism and found true religion in Christ Jesus. It didn't, his old way of life wasn't eradicated, but his new belief in Christ gave a new way of living out what he believed, shed light on Old Testament scripture. And Christianity is the true religion that confirms the truth of the Old Testament. Therefore, our Lord said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. All is accomplished. One story, one faith, and one Lord. And I do want you to notice, notice how Zechariah prophesied about the covenantal promise that he made to, that God made to David in verses 67 through 71. He also prophesied about the Abrahamic covenant according to verses 72 through 75. And from verses 76 through 80, Zechariah speaks of John the Baptist, the Messiah's forerunner, that he would help usher in the new covenant of Israel the new covenant of eternal life that is only found in Jesus Christ. So therefore, Zechariah's prophecy points to God's 
overarching plan of salvation. Notice in verse 68 what Zechariah said. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The word redeem means to purchase or to ransom. Zechariah was knowledgeable of the Old Testament. So he, he knew and understood how God has redeemed his people. Think about it for a second. Throughout written scripture, and chronologically speaking, Zechariah understood how God elected Noah and his family to be saved from the global flood. God used Moses to redeem Israel from the hands of Egypt. And God used Cyrus to redeem Israel from the hands of the Babylonians. And God has provided redemption through Jesus Christ by, according to Zechariah, raising up a horn of salvation. Raising up a horn of salvation. The horn of salvation in your text and in, your, in our passage represents power. It represents strength. Therefore, a horn of salvation is a metaphor that speaks of Christ Jesus being a mighty Savior. Every year, countries like Spain, they host a festival of the running of the bulls. At this festival, as you know, and as well as I know, people place themselves in front of sharp, horn pointed bulls and people try to dodge the bulls for obvious reasons unless they desire to get gored to death as they running down a narrow street and you ask the question why would they do that in the first place i'll leave that up to your imagination How many of you would stand in front of a raging bull? Would you flee if a horned beast charged towards you? Jesus is like a beast who, with horns who has mightily provided salvation to those whom he died for. God said, said uh, to the prophet Ezekiel, On that day, I will cause a horn to spring up for the house of Israel. And again, in Psalms 132, verse 17, the Lord said, There I will make a horn to sprout for David. To sprout for David. And the reason I believe that Zechariah mentioned David's name, because he understood 
and he well knew that Mary was pregnant with the Messiah, Jesus. Because she, Mary was six months pregnant when she visited her relative Elizabeth and stayed at the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah. In fact, as you can see in Luke chapter 1, verse 56, that Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. So Zechariah knew very well that Mary was a descendant of David. Therefore, he understood that his own son, who was born, John the Baptist, signify the condemnation of salvation that was dawning near. In other words, when John the Baptist was born, that signified that salvation is coming. Salvation is here. Sooner or later, that the Messiah will show up. He knew and understood scripture well. I don't know if you know or are aware the promise that God made to David, the Davidic covenant. Within the scripture in the uh, Testament, there are eight covenants in total. But more specifically, this particular covenant, the reason why we're speaking of, of David, God made a promise to David. You can um, read, follow behind me, but I want you to open your Bible and turn to Second Samuel, uh, chapter seven, verses twelve through sixteen. And if you don't have a Bible, you can just read the passage that is on the wall. This is the promise, and it, it connects to with. Uh, Zechariah's prophecy. He says, When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his, his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house, this is a key uh, text here, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Apparently, and according to Scripture, We know that David died. In fact, when Peter preached his first sermon after the day of Pentecost, 
that he even mentioned that David died and was buried. So when God made this covenant with David, he had in mind his own son, Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one that can fulfill this promise. In fact, if you turn back to Luke chapter 1, verse 33. Luke chapter 1, verse 33. This is the announcement Gabriel uh, pronounced to Mary. Let's read verses 32 and 33 together. Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. He said, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end so what is this pointing to well i will tell you glad that you ask it's pointing to christ's millennial kingdom we all know, and we can tell and show this from Scripture and from history. For example, in the year 1948, Israel fought against Syria, Egypt, and Iraq to secure their liberation and to declare their state of independence. As we all know, the state of Israel is now settled between a lot of Islamic countries that considers Israel as an enemy. So when Zechariah's prophecy demonstrates from his mind that God will save Israel, the people, the land. Because at the time, they were under Roman occupation. And this is why Zechariah said what he said. He said in, in verse 71 that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. The difference between us and Zechariah is that Zechariah was looking towards a political liberation that where he can worship the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord God himself uh, freely, uninterrupted. For us, we're not looking for liberation from an earthly perspective. We're looking for a liberation from spiritual enemies, not carnal enemies. We all, I will hope, have been liberated from Satan, from sin, from the desire and passions of this world. 
Because I agree, and I hope that you agree as well, that we ought to be saved. We ought to seek liberation. We ought to be light, have a light-mindedness with Zechariah and look for that, that ultimate liberation when we all can praise and worship God. And this is what I'm speaking of. One, yes, I wholeheartedly believe that Jerusalem will be liberated because we see that in Revelation uh, chapter 21, verses 10 through 11, that God will set down and carry uh, well, that a new holy Jerusalem will come down from heaven where there will, Jerusalem itself will have its own preeminence. And there we will worship the Lord and God forever. But if we are not there to see it, and we pass before that day comes, I, I will hope that you can resound your voices as the psalmster did in um, Psalms chapter 18, verse 23. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Is this true for you? Can you sing those words? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for...